James is telling us, as I already mentioned, that our words matter. Uh, Words that are spoken by us, words that are spoken to us, words that are spoken about us, um, even words spoken internally, they matter. Uh, You know, words encompass so, so very much of our lives. Um, And we're pretty much going to jump right in, but but listen, listen to the scholar Alec Moutier. I want him to explain to you how much words really encompass in our lives. He writes, we cannot think without formulating thoughts and words. We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes. We cannot write a letter or a book without talking it through our minds onto the paper. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment in words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us how hard done by we are. Um, He he goes on for for ways, but I'll stop there. We're just going to be able to scratch the surface this morning, but hopefully you can already begin to get a taste for how much this subject of words, or as James puts it, the tongue, actually covers. It covers so much of our lives. Words matter. How you speak to your spouse matters. How you speak to your children, how you speak to your friends, your co-workers, and on and on. And words matter whether they're spoken out loud or they formed internally in our thoughts or our imaginations, as Moshir tells us. And words spoken and communicated to us from outside of ourselves, they matter. They have the power to tear us down to the dust, or they have the power to lift us up to the heights of joy and heal our lives. Words matter. So here's what we're going to do with this passage. I want us to talk about how and why it is our words matter um, and have power. And then I want us to talk about the destructive and healing power of words, as well as how our words can be healed. So we're going to do this in three points, okay? The power of words, the destructive power of words, and finally, the healing power of words. So first, let's talk about the power of words. Um, how and why do our words have power? This is a couple of years old, I think, but uh, in one of her songs, Sarah Barillis, I think is how you say her name, she sings, you can be amazing. You can turn a phrase into what? Into a weapon or a drug. She's singing about this undeniable power of words, right? It has the power to destroy and the power to heal. And before we get to the destructive and healing power of these words, I want us to talk about how it is that words have power. Because the truth is, words have power in two directions, right? Words have power over both the hearer and the speaker. So think with me first about the power of words over the hearer. Um, some of you might remember the story from a few months ago, but in the 13th century, uh, Roman Emperor Frederick II took several infants uh, to be raised by nurses. And these babies were given food and, and water and shelter and clothing, and they were held by these nurses, they were loved by these nurses, they were cared for by these nurses. But the nurses were instructed not to utter a single word 
in their presence. See, the emperor at, at that time wanted to see what kind of language would develop among these children if they were kept free from any outside influence. And it has since come to be known as the forbidden experiment. Because every child died. Words. Words are powerful. We need words like we need air. Like we need water. Like we need food. Right, when James famously wrote in verses 5 through 6 that the tongue is small, but like a spark, it can turn a forest into a blazing inferno, he was saying, words are powerful. The absence of words can kill you. Right, the presence of evil words can burn you to the ground, James is saying. I wish I could do more with this, but even as James reminds us in verse 9 that we were made in the likeness of God. You know, the Bible tells us that God speaks, that He formed and He shaped the cosmos by the power of His Word. He made us in such a way that we need words to live. It's words that don't just form the cosmos and shape the cosmos, but words form and shape our understanding of God, right? In Genesis 1 through 2, go back and read this. God spoke a lot about the creation that He had made, that He spoke into existence. But He only ever spoke to and with mankind. Right? Not only do words shape our understanding of who God is, but it's hearing words that form and shape our very sense of self and identity. Right? Whether those words were spoken to us or about us by parents, by siblings, friends, teachers, coaches, employers, or God Himself. It's through hearing words that we come to know who we are and how we were meant to relate to this world that God has given us. I wish I could do a lot more with that, but listen, James isn't only making the point that words have a power over the hearer. He's also saying words have power over the speaker. Look at verse 2. He writes, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Verse 6, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. James is saying, Your words have the power to set the course of your whole life. The key to controlling your life, James says, is controlling your words, your tongue, your speech. You know what makes a really really good counselor? The ability to get people talking. Right? To get them speaking. To get them using words. I mean, the very best counselors, they ask lots and lots of questions. Right? And they listen very, very well. When good counselors do talk, most of the time it's with open-ended questions that are designed to get you to talk. Tell me what that felt like. Tell me how you responded to that. What did you think about this or that, right? Or if they're not asking questions, a lot of what they're doing, they even call it active listening, right? I hear you saying, 
So if I understand you, right, the best counselors have been doing this for centuries. Why? Because they know that words have power over the speaker. What happens when you fail in life? I mean, we all fail. But what happens when you fail in in your frustration and your disappointment and maybe your shame and embarrassment? You begin to wrap those feelings and those thoughts in words. Maybe you call yourself a loser, a failure, worthless, stupid. I mean, all of a sudden, something that everyone in this life faces and has to deal with, failure, it has been given a tremendous power, a shaping and forming power in your life. What happens when someone hurts your feelings and you begin to wrap those feelings in words? He's such a jerk. I don't deserve this. How come my life is always so hard? All of a sudden, those thoughts and feelings wrapped in words, they become a powerful force for bitterness and self-pity and resentment. And it doesn't matter if those words are spoken out loud. Or whether they just form internally in our thoughts and our imaginations. Words really matter. They're powerful over both the hearer and the speaker. And James himself gives us a great illustration of the power of words in this passage. He tells us to think about horses and ships. Um, A large, powerful animal. A huge vessel. But what he's saying, he's saying something like this. But you can put a tiny bit... In the mouth of that half-ton powerful animal. And a 70-pound child can steer it wherever he or she wants to go. Right? A huge vessel threatened by strong, powerful winds and waves. But with a tiny wooden rudder. Right? The ship goes wherever the pilot wants it to go. And his point is, these aren't idle or hollow boasts. Right? The violence of beast and storm can be mastered. By a tiny bit and a tiny rudder. And just like that, James says, neither is the boast of the tongue idle or hollow. Why? Because every word matters. Words are powerful whether they're spoken to you or by you. Words shape our lives and the lives of others. And James, in this passage, he wants us to think carefully about our words, the way we speak to others, the way we talk about others, the way we talk even about ourselves. So let me just start by asking a couple of questions. What kinds of words are you using with your spouse? What kinds of words are you using with your children, with your friends, with yourself? Those words are not idle. They're not hollow. Those words have power. Okay, second... Let's think together about the destructive power of words. We remember the rhymes from childhood, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me, sticks to you. We know. But adults have learned better, right? We know better by now, right? Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words have the power to destroy our souls. Right, And what's said to us, or what's said about us, can stick like knives in our hearts. And echo throughout our lives for years and years to come. And how could they not have this destructive power? Because as we just said, 
They have the power to shape your very sense of self. James says in this passage that words, words are like sparks that can ignite a blaze of destruction in our lives. Just think with me about what some of those words might be. Slander. Gossip. Malignant speech, innuendo, impurity, polite lies, lies of deception, sarcasm, poisonous cynicism, flattery, manipulation, hypocrisy, boasting, mean-spirited criticism, contempt, complaining, character assassination. These are just a few I thought of this week, right? Verse 6, James says, the tongue is a fire, it is a world of unrighteousness. Let's just scratch the surface of a few here. Lying. You know what lying is, right? Lying is misrepresenting reality to someone else. It comes in all kinds of forms, in flattery, and polite lies, and complete fabrication, and partial truths that are designed to spin and manipulate opinions. What happens when someone lies to you? What happens when someone misrepresents reality to you? It's not harmless, right? It keeps reality from you. And it sets your life moving against the grain of reality and is harmful to you. And it's why you feel violated when someone lies to you. It's why you feel taken advantage of and uncared for and used and isolated and disrespected when someone lies to you. What about slander or gossip? How destructive in your life is it to find out That through carefully constructed innuendo, someone has dangled suspicion of your character in front of others. How does it feel when someone has exposed your weaknesses before others in order to elevate themselves above you? Right, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but I I might have to uproot my family, get a new job, and move to another city because of one slanderous word. A spark. That sets a blaze of fire, right? And what about mean-spirited criticism? I mean, we've all been subject to this at some point. And I bet you're like me, and that is those critical words that you've heard, they do echo in your life for years and years and decades and decades. When someone criticized your appearance or criticized your weight, or criticize your ability, or your intelligence, or criticize your hopes and your dreams, you'll never amount to anything. When someone whose opinion you value, right, never seemed to see any good in you, but pointed out all your failures and all your flaws. I mean, this has to be one of the easiest points I've ever made in a sermon. Um, Because we've all felt in our lives the destructive power of words, right? They've torn us down. They've set us back. They've crippled us. We can hear lots of these words years and years after the fact that they were spoken. That's the lasting destructive power of words. But here's the thing. We're not just victims of destructive work, the destructive power of words, right? James is saying we're also destroyers ourselves. Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can tame any creature, James says, but we can't tame our own tongues. 
And like that bit in the horse's mouth of the rudder that steers the ship, right? There has to be a rider holding the reins. There has to be a captain holding the wheel. And ultimately, I think this is where we need to get. Our tongues are untamable because our hearts, which hold the reins and the wheel, are untamable. Can you tame your tongue? Um, some of you may know this name, but theologian and pastor Jack, uh, Jack Miller, he started a Christian discipleship program. And in it, he would give out this little assignment, and he called it the tongue assignment. And he, it was very basic. Um, and he would say, for one week, this is your assignment. Don't complain or grumble. Don't boast. Don't gossip. Don't run someone down. Don't defend or excuse yourself. And always be affirming others in your speech for one week. Try it sometime. Sounds easy. Not so easy. Um, Not so easy to do. And that was really the point of his assignment, right? Um, So that you can see how untamable your tongue actually is. And so you can begin to get a glimpse of how untamable your heart actually is. Right. Here's how Jesus put it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our untamable tongues are a reflection of our untamable hearts. To watch your speech is to watch your heart and see who you really are. We're not just victims. We're also destroyers wielding the destructive power of words. Years ago, I had this conversation with a friend of mine. And I think about it all the time. It's just haunted me for years and years. Um, my friend, who's a few years older than me, he lost his father to a struggle with cancer. And as we were talking in this moment of tremendous honesty, he admitted what a relief it was to him. When his father passed away. I mean, his father had been so very critical of him. So very harsh and discouraging with his words. I mean, his father left him feeling he could never measure up. Never be enough. Never do enough. And he spent so much of the energy of his life just trying to make his father proud once. Trying to get a compliment from his, from his dad. He had exhausted himself trying to prove his dad wrong. He was saying the burden only fell off when, it, when, his, when his dad passed away. Being a parent is serious business. Words matter. And your children and my children are paying attention to those words. Those words are shaping and forming little identities. And of course, it's scary business because your kids have more opportunity than anyone to hear your words, right? To hear you talk, which is why James was really saying, be careful if you're a teacher. Because the more you speak, the more potential for destruction. And you will be held accountable For your words, because they matter, because words are powerful for destruction. And of course, it's not just words. 
from parents to their children, but words spoken to anyone have this kind of power. And I, I know this is deeply sobering stuff because we've all been hurt by words and we've also inflicted a lot of hurt and a lot of damage with our words. James says, pay attention to your untamable tongue because it reveals an untamable heart. All right, finally, let's, let's talk about the healing power of words. Honestly, when we read through that passage earlier, I'm, I'm sure you felt it as I did this week when I was reading it. On the whole, this passage strikes a pretty negative tone, doesn't it? But James, I think, is at the very least in this passage, he's hinting about the healing power of words. In verse 2, James is saying, if you can control the tongue, you can control your whole life. The key to a healed life is a healed tongue, or is a healed heart and tongue. But before we get into how our words can be healed, I did want to at least uh, generally mention some of the ways our words can bring healing to one another, right? Listen, lies, <clears throat> they're always destructive because they misrepresent reality. But I want you to imagine, what if we learn to do what Paul told the Ephesians, which is speak the truth in love to one another? What if someone could and would speak the truth in love to you, could give you both reality and love at the same time? That has the potential to radically change you and set you free because it would give you the dignity and the respect you deserve, but it would also show you the compassion and the mercy and grace that you so desperately need. To speak the love, to speak the truth without love is harsh and hard and it beats you up. But to speak the truth without love is just vacuous and empty. What we desperately need are words of reality and love. Okay, second, slander and gossip destroy individuals and community. How freeing would it be to you to be a part of a community that genuinely cared to protect your reputation? A community that practiced giving the benefit of the doubt rather than creating suspicion of motives. That would be a community that would set you free to flourish, that would set you free to to fail even, without fear of shame. We're hungering for that kind of safety and freedom for authenticity in our lives. Mean-spirited criticism crushes us. And and listen, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I, I know this about you and you can know it about me too. It's fine. There is not a person in this room that does not need encouragement. And lots of it. We live... In a truly broken world, this world is not what it should be, and we're not what we should be. And it's so, so very easy, given the evidence of your struggling and failing, to turn all your thoughts and feelings into internalized words of shameful discouragement. We are so, so very hungry for a voice from outside of us to speak words of life to us. For a voice outside of us that is objective and real to speak words of life to us. We can heal so much brokenness and destruction in one of those lives with simple words of encouragement. Over and over the Bible is telling us to do this. To encourage one another daily. 
to build one another up with our words over and over again. It's just a bit on how our words can be healing to others. But here's the, the bigger question is this. How can our hearts and our words be healed so that, we can, so that we're actually free to do that for one another? We, what we need is we need an objective word from outside of ourselves. A word that matters from a voice that matters. An objective word from outside of ourselves that can reform us and reshape our very identity and sense of self. Why, when you were a little kid, did you want so badly... um, Scratch that. Why, when you were a little kid, did you need so badly to show your mom or dad what you could do or what you had done? Watch me. Watch me ride my bike, right? Watch me swing. Look what I colored. <laughs> Look what I made. What were you looking for as a child? An objective word from outside of yourself. Because already at the age of four or whatever it was, you knew that's what you really needed. A word from outside of you that was objective. Good job. Way to go. I'm proud of you. That's beautiful. Let's hang it on the fridge for everybody to look at it. Right? But then you grow up and you become a teacher. Or not a teacher, a teenager. And you wanted... You needed those words from outside of you by your peers, right? I mean, how else would you know if you were cool or pretty or smart or liked or or whatever it was? And then you grew up some more and you realize you desperately needed those words from your spouse, maybe. Or from your boss. Or people who worked in your field. or, Or were in your social circles. Or whatever. You needed that voice from the outside. Listen, if we could get a definitive, objective word from the only voice that really matters, it would reform and reshape us and give us a new identity and it would set us free and heal our hearts and heal our tongues. There is a tension in this passage. I don't know if you caught it when we read through it, but James seems to be saying, right? The tongue must be controlled, he's saying. And then he says, but no one can tame the tongue. Right? Verse 8 is a pretty good translation. He says, no human being can tame the tongue. Literally, from the Greek, it stands out even more than that. James wrote, no one is able to tame the tongue among humans. So who will tame the tongue? James is giving us a hint. It's got to be someone who is more than just human. Someone who is both fully man and fully God. Someone who possesses the one voice that really matters. Jesus, of course. Do you know what the Gospel writer John called Jesus? Called Him the Word, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus, the Word we need. But why would John, in that, in that verse I just read to you, why would John so clearly reference the opening words of Genesis? 
in the beginning. Because I think John was saying, Jesus, the Word, He came to recreate the world. He came to restore the world. And He came to restore you. And He came to reform you. And He came to reshape you. Listen, the difference between your words and Jesus' words are vast, I know. But it's that your words and my words are descriptive. And His words are declarative. With our words, we can describe reality. But with His words, He can declare and create realities. So throughout your life, your words and the words of others have sought to describe who you are and that's shaped your sense of self and who you are. But here's the deal. Jesus' words are declarative, definitive, and objective. So if He calls you His dearly loved child and treasure, no matter what anyone else has ever said to you, or what you have said to yourself, if He calls you His child and His treasure... That's what you are. And if everyone in your life and even you say you're not enough, if Jesus says you're enough, you are. His words are declarative. And if you feel ashamed or you've been shamed by others, but He calls you forgiven and washed and clean, you are. And if you feel ugly, but God calls you beautiful, You are. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. His voice is the only voice that really matters. Jesus came to live and die and be raised from the dead for you. To declare that you are forgiven before the Father. To declare you righteous before the Father. To declare you a son. To declare you a daughter. To declare you an heir of an everlasting kingdom. To declare you loved and cherished and approved. And here's what I'm saying. If that begins to sink into our hearts, it will begin to heal our hearts. And it will begin to heal our tongues. And turn us into instruments that can be used for healing in others' lives. And last thing, just very quickly, and then we'll be done. In verses 9 through 10, James wrote about how it shouldn't be from the same mouth that we praise God and curse others made in His image. And yes, we can apply that to hypocrisy. But the illustration, just go home and think about this, but the illustrations of how a spring can't pour out both salt and fresh water and a fig tree can't bear olives and so on in verses 11 through 12. Listen, I think what James is saying is he's saying you're capable of doing both. Praising God and cursing men made in His image. But I think he's saying this, you can't do them both at the same time. And so if you're filled and you are captivated with wonder and awe for what God has declared you to be in Jesus, if you're delighting in His delighting in you and therefore filled with praise for Him, you can't also be cursing others at the same time. 
It's in coming to Jesus and praising Jesus for what He has done that our hearts and our tongues and our lives are healed by His grace. Let's pray together.